Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast by two guys who are remain embarrassed to have a Star Trek The Next Generation podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. I might even say that my shame uh, grows from episode <laughs> to episode. Yeah, well, it has been a bit of a slog, but uh, I think we're starting to see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> Uh, in terms of the quality of the writing and execution. Um, oh, oh, I thought you were talking about our podcast, which... Oh, you mean think, just that it's almost over? Yeah, I think we're almost done with the series. And you know what Malcolm Gladwell says? I mean, you get four episodes of a podcast uh, done. I think you've achieved mastery right. in the podcast realm. So <laughs> feeling pretty good. We're trying to have these be like between 30 and 35 minutes each and... But we record about about twenty five hundred hours sure. per episode, and then cut it down to the best, you know, thirty minutes. So, I mean, by episode four, that'll be ten thousand. Anyone who stuck around with us to episode four knows that all the content in every episode has been the best of the best. Mm-hmm. Just been top shelf. Just top shelf dick jokes. <laughs> Well, shall we start talking about uh, Season 1, Episode 4, The Last Outpost? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Not really getting any better, I don't think. <laughs> the episode starts and the Enterprise is chugging along in space uh, in pursuit of a Ferengi vessel. Uh, that has stolen some kind of equipment from a Federation outpost. And uh, I think that in episode one, they actually talk about the Ferengi, but it seems pretty clear to me that they hadn't kind of decided what the Ferengi were going to be at that point. Yeah, their reputation uh, sounds real scary, which is laughable when once you realize who and what they are down the road. Yeah. So there's some talk on the bridge of of what the Ferengi are going to be, and they uh, compare them to Yankee traders, which... uh, Yeah, at no point did they speculate that their heads look like the back of elephants. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's a big reveal, and uh, when they do finally catch up with this Ferengi vessel, the ship fires on them. Um, It does do the... uh, the e-brake maneuver that you talked about in the last uh it, w- it wasn't quite as uh as exciting as i remembered they showed them the pointy end of the ship yeah, which right. is, is the better end for sure <laughs> it does look like a cool ship to be in because like if you're in that back section just like with one, with a window looking out toward the front i feel like that'd be a pretty cool view looks like looks like a pretty big ship you know it kind of looked to me like the bridge of the enterprise like if you if you took that general shape oh yeah that turned it point. into a ship and maybe stuck a fork in the front of it <laughs> maybe the uh the model team got got a little drunk and had to had to scramble at the last minute I, so i suppose the the frankie ship fires upon them and shit uh gets pretty tense and then they start to have 
power drains all over the ship, and they're convinced that the Ferengi have some sort of ability to suck the power out of their ship that they're they're unaware of. And they had gone in thinking that the Ferengi were similar technology level to the Federation, but now they're worried that they might be far more advanced. Yeah, and, and Worf just wants to destroy him immediately. It seems like he knows more about them than he's saying, but at no point does he say anything useful about what he might know about the <laughs> Ferengi, which is weird. So they finally get this uh, Ferengi daemon on screen, and uh, I actually really like the scenes where Picard is talking with this character because they shot it in this pretty like pretty crazy way where they'll shoot like from the from behind Picard and have the view screen fill the entire frame so Mm -hmm. you have this like crazy crazy close-up of the diamond in in a way that like it's like not a not a shot that you see very often and it makes him really menacing and scary you really get into every fold (laughs) no yeah the the high definition uh, has not been so kind to the earlier uh, makeup work in this series. So, anyways, they uh, they realize based on some something that the Daimon says that the Ferengi are not in fact behind this power drain, and so they go into the into the observation lounge where they have a three D hologram projector on the table, and they discover that there's like lightning beams hitting both ships from the planet's surface and there's something down on the planet that is causing the power drain so they go back on on the facetime with the ferengi and (laughs) talk him into a hey uh, you up (laughs) new new phone who dis (laughs) uh which is, is a is a surprising choice because, you know, they've been pursuing these Ferengi for being thieves, and now they're going to do a joint mission of exploration on the planet's surface to see what's causing this power drain. I guess they don't really have a choice. You skipped over the fact that Picard surrendered to them, which is the second time he surrendered to a foe in four episodes. They really want to establish his character as being French, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's clearly frustrating to the rest of the crew. Who, yeah, yeah. I mean, Picard has seemed to surround himself with bloodthirsty, <laughs> a bloodthirsty, warmongering bridge crew that he yeah. just frustrates at every turn with his surrenders. They might be the most bloodthirsty, <laughs> warmongering people from their utopian post-scarcity society. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, two two war fiends and a sex addict uh, <laughs> compliment him on the bridge. That's boy, that's a tough break for Picard. But so they beam down, and uh, and uh, something on the planet's surface has caused the transporter beams to scramble them all over the planet's surface. So uh, Riker uh, finds himself totally alone on the surface of the planet, and there's this very weird scene where he like goes out onto a cliff and yells. He then just turns and walks away from the cliff and finds <laughs> everybody in the other direction. Like he um. basically does that thing where he screams into a thunderstorm. Also, uh, major props to the to the set dressing department breaking out the dry ice uh, in, a, in a real <laughs> yeah. big time way. Totally. 
I think it's the first kind of primitive or undeveloped planet surface that we see in the whole series. So this is like, this is the unveiling of the like styrofoam rocks and <laughs> and very close up psych that become kind of watchwords of uh, exterior set design in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Later on, they go to like that establishing shot mat, you know, yeah. that wide angle mat, and they they couldn't do that in this case for whatever reason. They wanted to shoot those crystal cactuses up close. Yeah. So, yeah. So the, the planet surface is, uh, they start kind of finding each other. It's uh, Yar, Jordy, Riker, and Data. Is Worf there too? Yeah, he is. It's sort of like, it's sort of like the A team of away teams. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's who you want if you're playing fantasy away team, I think. Those are the A team of away teams is a good uh, name for this episode. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so the, the surface is covered in these crazy crystal structures and the crystals are the reason that energy is being dissipated and absorbed by the planet, uh, when the Ferengi away team starts attacking them by flinging, uh, lightning bolts out of these crazy blue whips. Yeah. If there, if there's one like style of weapon that you want, you know, for aiming at someone far away, you definitely want its method of discharge to be like whipping it around your head and <laughs> and sort of snapping it across yourself. Yeah. Super accurate from the the 50 yards that they were shooting them. Well, maybe uh maybe on Ferenginar they train them from from youths, you know. You're learning your your rules of acquisition and you're learning your whip skizzles. <laughs> I will say I really like some of these early episodes from just for just kind of like trying anything standpoint. Yeah, like, like they finally got weird with what an alien looks like, and they yeah. got weird with what an alien weapon might be. Like it's not yeah. it's not a, your standard issue like dustbuster phaser. Like like they bring down <laughs> to the surface. Like they actually got creative. Yeah, like there's the dustbuster phaser, and then there's also the the like key fob phaser. Yeah. That, Sort of looks like the garage door opener version, um, <laughs> and and I don't know like I guess like Yar always has has like the bigger ones, but Riker I feel like we've seen a couple times now with the little key fob one, which yeah I feel like is a great. Uh, I mean, if you could actually get a beam weapon that small, like that's that's what you want, right? Because you could like keister that and smuggle it into an alien prison. I think it's weird, like. And correct me if I'm wrong, but no one has ever gone John Woo with a phaser and gone like one in each hand, right? I I was totally thinking about that in this episode. Like it would be pretty awesome. To just be like, <laughs> uh, anyways, when they start shooting at each other, the crystals really start ab- absorbing these these energy bolts, and it awakens Portal sixty three, who is it's like a cloud of energy at first, and then it sort of like. Uh, coalesces into a humanoid and uh clearly related to gozer the gazorian from uh, <laughs> from the ghostbusters universe yeah I, it might be the love child of gozer the gazorian and tim from uh the monty python in the search for the holy grail <laughs> <laughs> yep uh <laughs> but uh so he is some sort of representative of the takan empire a very powerful star empire that disappeared uh millennia ago because of a supernova and he's sort of like you know japanese soldiers stationed on islands in the pacific unaware that the war is over 
and unaware that the Takan Empire no longer exists. So he sort of thinks he's in this in in position to pass judgment on current spacefaring species and they're trying really hard to make him understand that uh he has no idea what the fuck he's talking about. So we're four episodes into what should be a hit science fiction series. So this awesome ship is gonna be flying around. It's the peak of human technology and exploration. But basically we're just gonna fly around being judged. Uh, we're not <laughs> we're not gonna get into too many adventures. We're just gonna meet people who judge us. Pass a lot of judgment. <laughs> it's sort of like the George Lucas uh, philosophy of the Star Wars prequels. Like, let's take the coolest part about science fiction and just ignore it completely. My love is a the basic allegation that's being leveled against both the Ferengi and the Federation is that they're you know, savage barbarians and the way Riker convinces the portal guardian character that they are not is by quoting a few lines from Sun Tzu uh, from the art of war, which is a surprising choice, I guess. But uh, the, uh, the portals impressed by Sun Tzu, the way uh, any high school student is the first time they read it and becomes right. immediately insufferable by uh, talking about it nonstop. Yeah. Well, let's, let's just be glad that he quoted Sun Tzu and not Ayn Rand, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that idea was floated in the writer's room. <laughs> um, so the portal offers them the opportunity to destroy the Ferengi, but Riker declines, saying that if the Ferengi are destroyed, they would learn nothing. So, uh, so benevolent, that yeah. William Riker... He shows grace and uh, sympathy in a way that uh, he doesn't usually show it in the bedroom, that's for sure. Yeah, I think he sort of treats the Ferengi like men that have no chance in like operating in the same league sexually as he does. Right, right. Yeah, you can he, see that. Yeah, kind of big brothery, uh, kind of, you know, like, ah, those guys are cute. There's also, like, there's all this stuff going on on the planet surface, but there's also the B story uh, up on the ship where things have gotten real cold. Right. Yeah, The uh, the all of the life support stuff is uh, is failing. And, um, you know, the, <laughs> there's a weird moment where I think Troy is walking around with a thermal blanket and she just gives it to somebody else <laughs> and then is super cold after that. And it's like, why don't you guys just have more? Like the second power started draining, you should have just replicated a thousand thermal blankets and you'd have plenty. I was really disappointed by the blankets. Like it seems like modern uh, emergency blanket technology is far better. Like where's the foil? There's no foil. Yeah, it should have been foil. Should have been astronauty. Um, This was another uh, great scene where Beverly, uh, refers to Wes as her son when talking to Picard. <laughs> like, just to make that clear again, Captain, uh, Wes, Wes is my son, and she actually proposes sedating him so that, I guess, like, uh, she can put her son down the way she would uh, put down a beloved pet so yeah. so he wouldn't suffer. <laughs> and Picard's reaction to this is so great. Like, uh, Picard doesn't want her to give him sedatives, and I think we both know that it's because, like, his tolerance is so great from all the sedatives that Picard himself has given Wesley. Like, I think the secret's out at that point. 
So oh, he, yeah. st- he strongly discourages uh, his mother from sedating him. <laughs> Don't roofie me, bro. <laughs> the away team beams back up and power comes back to the ship. Everybody sort of wakes up. I guess they were really like right on the verge of losing their lives. Uh, yeah, everyone's although... all slumped over their station. Yeah. It's, it's real dark. Yeah. Beverly goes to the bridge and sits next to the captain, which I thought was another interesting choice by her. I mean, four episodes, she is just throwing herself at him, <laughs> and he is just not getting it. Not getting maybe, it at all. Maybe, Captain, we could stay close for warmth. <laughs> the day is saved, and uh, Riker suggests that they beam a box of Chinese finger traps to the Ferengi as a, uh ironic thank you for, I guess, uh, not killing them. And Data is, like, continuously stuck in them, right? Yeah. He's supposed to be the the smartest invention in all of the universe. <laughs> he can't yeah. get himself out of a finger cuffs. They, they really picked the wrong character for that. The second episode is where uh, he bangs Yar, right? Yeah, that's correct. I, maybe he needs to stop sticking himself into things he doesn't understand. <laughs> hey! 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 <laughs> Darmok, Angela, and Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I think this episode, <laughs> I think this episode is solid up until the judgment scene. Like when the, I think when the portal appears, it's where it takes that left turn into being bad. But you know, like I, I, I think we should uh, give give credit to like the first portion for not being completely insane. Like it sounds like I hate the show, but I really don't. Like we should probably yeah. full. This might be a good job, good time to like full stop and just say like we both still really love this show. There's just a yes. lot to make fun of. There's a, uh, in especially the in in S one, uh, yeah, lot to a lot to make fun of. But I will say, like, this is a much better episode than the three that have come before it, uh, in my opinion. Um, low bar to clear, but I think it uh, starts to <laughs> hint at, at some of the potential of the series. I think that uh, we talked a little bit in in the last episode that we have misgivings about the uh, design of the Ferengi as being. Uh, pretty explicitly anti-Semitic. They're they're anti-Semitic, but they also communicate in a like, they sort of hop around and flail. Yeah, their... all of their body language is really insanely like <laughs> conniving and and. It's like the only thing they know about humans is from watching West Side Story. At one point, one of them steals Riker's com badge, and there's like an extended shot of its creepy little fingers like right. hovering and gripping on this on this metal badge and it's like it's so gross and uh it's it's hard to imagine that the design of the characters got approved the way it did you know this is this is a race that winds up being like pretty seminal in in the rest of the series and in the subsequent series i mean uh, one of the actors playing the Ferengi winds up being a main cast character on Deep Space Nine. Yeah, interesting choice. You know, like if you're going to buy stock in any character at this point uh, for the long term, like, yeah, can't see yourself buying that one. Yeah, it's very strange. Um, do you have a drunk Shimoda for this app? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. The only thing I wrote down as a, as a possibility was the portal character because... He's just so ridiculous. You know, I think my drunk Shimoda might be Tasha Yar, who <laughs> you may remember, like, she gets, you know, you know, like, what a Quentin Tarantino-style, like, Mexican standoff is. It's when, like, everyone with a gun has a gun on 
on someone else. So it's like right. mutually assured destruction. So they're yeah. down there and everyone's all quarreling. And then Tasha Yar pops out from behind a crystal cactus with a, it's just her in a single phaser. And three of the Ferengi have three of their whip phasers. And she gets into like basically a polar standoff with them. Like it's one <laughs> versus three. And the Ferengi are like, are super scared of Tasha yeah. Yar, both because she's a clothed woman and evidently uh, her one phaser is enough to uh, to overcome their combined power. I thought that, to me, seemed like a pretty drunk display of confidence. <laughs> uh, and so I think for that reason, Tasha Yar gets my, my vote for drunk Shimoda. That's pretty good. That also, we should mention, uh, in addition to being disgusting capitalists, the Ferengi are uh, also raging misogynists um, every alien really likes tasha yar yeah yeah that's true i mean we I, an episode has not really gone by without somebody making an inappropriate sexual comment about her <laughs> so it only makes like and you know spoiler alert for exactly no one but like <laughs> but they but they build up the sex icon of the show the female sex icon i think we both agree that Riker is the male equivalent of that but they they build tasha yar up into being this like female sex icon and then they kill her at the end of the season yeah. like i think they kill her mid-season oh really is that coming up it's coming up it's coming up not that far not that long from now interesting i, I, I would guess choice. we have 10 weeks before yar is gone well we better enjoy her while she lasts <laughs> i am as cute as a ball lock faces on that vest i am as cute as a ball so the next episode is called Where No One Has Gone Before. So the Enterprise is ordered to undergo a series of tests that will propel the ship at unfathomable speed, but Riker has misgivings surrounding the equations and theories presented by their arrogant designer. Only Wesley puts together that the designer's assistant is the one behind the whole scheme of things. Oh, good. It's a, it's a Wesley-based episode. What do you remember about this? Uh, I remember that it's uh, it's some more great head and face makeup uh, <laughs> for an alien. Basically, yeah, we're just they had a bucket of silly putty and just say, "Roll your face back and forth." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I remember actually liking this one. I thought this uh, this episode uh, was a good expression of just uh, the possibilities of the show being. You know, instead of being trapped on a planet or being judged by someone, the reception was uh, mixed, I guess you could say, which uh, a mixed reception review would be far and away better than the kind of an improvement. Any other episode we've watched, Uh, it got away with some things that would have killed other shows stone dead. That's (laughs) that's encouraging. Uh, It works, if only because it tickles the part of you that wonders exactly what might be out there. I like that part being tickled. Well, uh, as a little teaser for next week's episode, this next week's episode might be the episode where I tell you something really embarrassing about myself with regard to Wesley Crusher. Oh, wow. I'm excited to hear it. Uh, Wes- you mean Wesley Crusher, who is described as being a cloying geek that you just want to strangle, according to this review? <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah that sounds like that sounds like we're talking about the same guy hopefully there'll be an episode at some point in the future where we really definitively find out whether or not picard is pursuing a 
an abusive sexual relationship with Wesley Crusher? Uh, I, I hope we never find out the answer because the speculation <laughs> is so entertaining. <laughs> well, I think that's probably about uh, all I can stomach for one day. Are you sure? <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, thanks for everybody that's been uh, writing reviews about the show on iTunes and tweeting about it. Um, I I know your hearts are in the right place, but we really are embarrassed about this podcast. So uh, please stop. Yeah, quit trying to say that it's all right and that you somehow share in our our geekery. Uh, that doesn't make it any better. Yeah, but uh, you know. As uh, as Adam coined on Twitter, subscribe and delete. Yeah. With that, I've been Ben Harrison. I've been Adam Pranica. Peace and long life. See you next time, I guess. <laughs> we really staggered to the finish line there. Yeah. Uh, I guess we, we sort of need to have like a signature sign-off figured out at some point. So. I, we do. I feel like We're, it's going to reveal itself to us, and maybe it hasn't yet. 